Hey, welcome back to the Intuitive Mindset Podcast with Jeannie Lynch, and this is Season 4, Episode 9, and I'm here to share one of the best stories that I've ever heard, and it's one of those stories that changed my life, and it's not my story, it's a story of a fool. Have I got your ear? Today, we're going to be exploring the fool's journey through tarot, and we're going to take you through all the different archetypes and explain each one of those experiences that the fool had when he met each one of his characters and these characters and the life lessons that they have to teach the fool, but more importantly, you today. Stay listening. That fun podcast, it's coming up next. to my channel, Jeannie Lynch. So excited that you're here today and so excited to share my next topic with you. Tarot. Ah, Don't click out and think that's all I'm going to talk about today, but I am going to dive a little bit deeper into one aspect of tarot that I think can change your life. And it's the fool's journey. And did you know that there's a story inside of Tarot and it's the fool as he starts his journey and where he lands when he finishes, which is the world, and how he starts it all over again, but at a higher level of consciousness? Hmm, kind of sounds like what we're here to do, doesn't it? Well, that's exactly why I want to talk about this today. I want to share that story with you and share with you the different archetypes. And if you've always wondered about tarot or even if you're a study of tarot and this is something you do to provide for your people right this is how you are in service to them i assure you learning the fool's journey really can help you uncover all the depth and all the mysteries of this beautiful modality of tarot so are you ready to hear a story that will change your life and certainly give you more consciousness and awareness. And I promise you, there are so many different experiences that if you haven't experienced yet, you will, because it's all about being in a physical body. The Fool's Journey is coming up next. Hey, thanks for staying clicked in. I'm so excited that you're willing to take this journey with me. And I want to go back and kind of tell you a little bit about I have had this idea of doing the fool's journey in my head for five or six years. In fact, in my video queue, I think I've started this video a thousand times. And it's such a big project in the sense that it takes a lot of energy to kind of bring it to you. So today's the day that I get to share that story with you. And I will tell you when I first started my own opening and awakening and started this journey of tapping into my own intuition, the person who my energy person was working with me at the time to help me develop my intuition, my mentor, and suggested that I pick up a deck of Oracle cards, I chose tarot. And I don't even know why at the time, because it all looked good to me. But I did choose tarot. And I I think it was simple. Like I think one of the cards reminded me of my daughter. It was the eighth card, by the way. So I'll show you that card. And here's what it looks like. So I was immersed and hooked right from that point. Well, when I got my deck and I got it home, the first thing I did, I don't know why, 
I really don't know if it was just me connecting to my intuition or laziness at the time. I don't remember. I remember taking all the extra cards and going right for the meat and potatoes, which were the 22 archetypes, the 22 major arcania. The rest of the deck went in an envelope. I never looked at them again, and I just focused on the major. And I really got into just looking and studying those cards. And from that, I actually started doing readings, I think for eight or nine years, just using those cards. So if you're somebody who started with me in the very beginning, you would have had the Fool's Journey reading with me. And I don't know anyone else who was doing it this way. I just felt really led to these cards. So today, what I, my intention is, is to read The Fool's Journey like a story and show you beautiful visuals and stuff. And if I told you that if you really wanted to uncover and learn about tarot, you could start with The Fool's Journey. In fact, I believe you could actually even stay in the fool's journey or end with a fool's journey as long as you really understood it. And the reason being is that there are 20 different archetypes. And let me set this up before I share this story with you. The fool starts his journey and he is a fool. He's a fool. He's a zero, right? So I'm going to give you the backdrop. He's brand new. He's a baby. He's out of the womb. He's just starting his experience. He's clueless and he starts his journey and he goes through each of these archetypes and he stumbles upon and he meets. Sometimes in this story, he actually becomes the characters and I'm going to let you know when that happens. And other times he just observes the characters or he meets them and they teach him something that he needs to know. And then in other times he's witnessing it and they have an experience that he shares with them. So it goes back and forth from him being in the story, part of the story of the world, out of the world, for the world, right? And observing it. And he goes through from a child to an adolescent, to an adult, to an elder, and so on. And again, really quick version of this so I can get you immersed in the work we're about to do. When he gets to the very end, he's at the world. And he's sitting down and this whole experience comes to him where he realizes that he's learned all he needs to learn and he's there. Well, guess what happens at the very end? He gets up and he starts the whole damn journey all over again at a higher level of consciousness. And this is where I need your attention. This is what we do in our life, right? We learn the lesson and then we go, ooh, a little bit more. We we might need a healing on forgiveness and we get in there and we look at what is bothering us that we need to be healed on and then we heal it. And then five years later, it kicks back up and we think, haven't I already dealt with that? It shows up again, but yet we realize we go a little bit deeper, right? When we're going deeper, what are we really doing? More consciousness. So that is the fool's journey. It's just his journey to consciousness, to full consciousness. And here's the truth. We're never there. We might end our life. We might die. We might go to the other side. We might be in between lives. See, these are some of the words you're here, right? And then we come back and we do it all over again. So we do that many times in this life, but we also do it through many lives, right? So that's the richness and the deepness of 
tarot and certainly the fool's journey. So my offering to you today is that's all I'm going to say on film. The rest is going to be read like a beautiful story. And I promise you, if you follow the fool's journey and you listen to the beautiful story that I'm about to share with you on each of the archetypes and you apply them to your own life, this will change your life. That's my promise to you today. So, hey, here's a question. Are you ready to change your life? Okay, here we go. Stay listening, stay watching, stay connected, because that's the work we're doing today. We're exploring the fool's journey and all the beautiful archetypes and the lessons he experiences, and you will experience them too. Enjoy. Where all good stories begin in childhood. Let's do this. The fool begins his journey like all journeys begin, with the first step. And with all his worldly possessions in his little pack, the fool travels, although he knows not where. He's so filled with the visions and the daydreams that he doesn't see the cliff that he's likely to fall over. At his heels is a small dog that hurries him, or is it just trying to warn him of the possible misstep? Traveling on his way, the fool first encounters a magician. Skillful, self-confident, and powerful is this archetype. With the infinity as his halo floating above his head, the magician mesmerizes the fool. When asked, the fool gives over his bundled pack and stick to the magician. Raising his wand to heaven and pointing his finger to earth, the magician calls on all his powers. Magically, the cloth and the pack unfold upon the table, revealing all its contents. And to the fool's eyes, it is the magician that has created the future with this one word. All the possibilities are laid out, all the directions he can take, the cool, airy sword of intellect and communication, the fairy wand of spirituality and ambition, the overflowing chalice of love and emotions, the solid pentacles of work and possessions and body. With these tools, the fool can create anything, make anything of his life. But here's the question. Did the magician create these tools or were they already in the fool's pack? Next, the fool continues his journey, and he comes upon a beautiful, mysterious veiled lady, enthroned between two pillars and illuminated by the moon. She seems to be the opposite of the magician, quiet where he was legarious, still when he was in motion, sitting when he stood, and shouldered in the night when the magician was out in the bright of day. She is the high priestess, and she astonishes the fool by knowing everything about him. Since you know me so well, perhaps you can help me, says the fool. Laying out a sword, the chalice, the staff, and the pentacles. The magician showed me these tools, but I'm in a quandary. There seems to be so many things that I could do with them. I can't decide. In answer, the high priestess hands over to him a pair of ancient scrolls. These will teach you how to decide, she says. Seating him at her feet, the fool reads by the light of her crescent moon. Finally, the fool knows enough that he can now decide where he wants to go, what he will do, 
and how he will move on. Though he suspects that the high priestess has even more secrets she could teach him, like what lies beneath that pomegranate curtain, (laughs) he is focused and ready to be on his way. Thanking the high priestess, he heads off, but as soon as he leaves, he hears her whisper, quiet as the waters which bubble up beneath her throne. We will meet again when you're ready to travel the most secret path of all, she whispers. Having decided what shape his future will take, the fool strives forward. But at this point, he's very impatient. This is when he comes upon the empress. Her hair is gold as wheat, wearing a crown of stars and a white gown dotted with pomegranates. She rests back on her throne, surrounded by all of her abundance of grain and lush garden. Is it possible that the empress is pregnant? Kneeling, the fool relates to her his story, and she in turn smiles a motherly smile and gently gives him this advice. Like a newly planted grain or a child in the womb, she says, a new life, a new love, a new creation is so fragile. It requires fertile soil, patience, and even nurturing. It needs love and attention. Only this will bring it to fruition. Understanding at last that his future will take time to build upon, the fool thanks the empress and continues on his way. The fool was given many options by the magician and decided which one with the help from the high priestess. He even learned how to to develop it thanks to the empress, but now he knows he needs to learn how to manage it. But just how is he going to do this? He approaches the great emperor seated on a stone throne. The fool is amazed by the way that this leader seems to be instantly and eagerly obeyed in every particular way and at how well his empire is run. Respectfully, he asks the emperor how he does this and the emperor answers, strong will and a solid foundation is all very well, he explained to the fool, to be dreamy, creative, instinctual, and even patient, but to control, one must be alert, brave, and even aggressive. Ready now to lead rather than to be led, the fool heads out with new purpose and direction as he thanks the emperor for his great advice. Having created a solid foundation in which to build his future, the fool is struck with sudden fear. What if everything he'd worked so hard for was taken away? If it was stolen or lost or destroyed or vanishes? What if it's just not good enough? In the panic, he heads to a holy place where he finds the Hierophant, a wise teacher, a holy man. He kneels before this man. Ready to hear and pass on his teachings, the fool tells the Hierophant all his fears and asks, how can he be free of them? The wise man replies, there is only two ways, fool. Either give up all which you fear, 
and lose it, and that way it won't hold any power over you, or consider what you still have if your fear comes to pass. After all, the Hierophant continues, if you did lose it all you, that you built, you would still keep the experience and that knowledge that you've gained up to this point, wouldn't you? This surprisingly pragmatic advice releases the fool from his fear, and he's able to exit the sanctuary now and back out on the trail to face the challenges once again. The fool comes to another crossroad filled with energy, confidence, and purpose, knowing exactly where he wanted to go. But when he gets there, he comes to a dead stop. The flowering tree marked the path that he was supposed to take, but standing at that exact place was a beautiful fruit tree with another woman standing right in front of it. He's met and had relationships with women before, some far more beautiful and even alluring, but she seems different. He feels as though he's just been shot in the heart with Cupid's arrow. So shocking and so painful is his recognition of her. As he speaks with her, the feeling intensifies, like finding a missing part of himself, a part that he's been searching for his whole life long. It is clear, too, that she feels the same way. They seem to finish each other's sentences and think the same thoughts, as if an angel above has introduced their souls. Though it is plain to follow the path of the flowering tree, through it will cause some trouble for him to bring this woman with him to go somewhere else entirely. The fool knows he dare not leave her behind. And like the fruit tree, she will fulfill him. No matter how divergent from his original intent, she is now his future. He chooses her, and together they head down a whole new path together. The fool seems so close to completing everything it set out to do, back when the magician revealed all his tools to him. But his enemies seem to be the only thing standing in his way. It is here that he comes across a charioteer standing in his gold and silver chariot his black and white steeds at rest in the ocean. You seem to be a victorious warrior, the fool remarks. Tell me, what is the best way to defeat an enemy? The charioteer nods out of the ocean. Have you ever been swimming in the water and been trapped in the tide that pulls you out to sea? Have you noticed if you try to swim, says the charioteer, head on, you will go nowhere. You will swim forward, but the tide will just pull you back. It will tire you out, and soon, most likely, you will drown. The only way to win without zapping you of all your energy is to swim parallel to shore and come along slowly, diagonally. So too, when fighting in a chariot, you win by coming alongside that you wish to defeat. The warrior nods to his beast. You steeds keep the wheels turning, but it is your control and direction that brings victory. Dark and light, they must be made to draw in harmony under your guidance. The fool at this point is so impressed and even inspired. He thinks now he knows how to win his own war. He thanks the warrior. But before he leaves, the warrior stays with the fool. One more thing, he says. 
No victory can be won unless you have unwavering confidence in your cause. And remember this above all, victory is not the end. It is only the beginning. And the fool moves on. The fool, feeling victorious over his enemies, is even feeling arrogant, powerful, and vengeful. There is so much hot passion inside of him that he can barely contain himself. In this state, he comes across a maiden struggling with a lion. Running over to help, he arrives just in time to see her gently but firmly shut the lion's mouth. In fact, the beast, which seemed so wild and fierce a moment ago, was now completely at her command. Amazed, the fool asks her, Hey, how did you do that? With one hand on the lion's mane, she answered, Willpower. Any beast, no matter how wild, will back down before a superior will. At that moment, the maiden meets the fool's eyes. Through saintly and young, her look is knowing and filled with such great power. Likewise, she says to him, there are many unworthy impulses inside of all of us. It is not wrong to have them, fool, but it is wrong to let them control us. We are, after all, human, not beast. And we command such energy. Use this for higher purposes. His rage in that moment seemed to quiet (laughs) and even become enlightened and walked away knowing that it was not only the lion that the fool was tamed that day by the maiden's pure, innocent strength. After a long and busy lifetime, building, creating, hating, fighting, compromising, failing, succeeding, the fool feels a profound need to retreat. In this archetype, the fool becomes the hermit. In a small rustic home deep in the woods, he hides, reading, cleaning, organizing, resting, or just thinking. But every night at dusk, he heads out and travels across the bare landscape. He carries only the staff and his lantern. It is during these restless walks from dusk to dawn, peering and examining whatever takes his fancy, that he sees and realizes all the things he's missed about himself and even in the world. It's as if the secret corners in his head were being slowly illuminated. Corners he never even knew existed. In a way, he's become the fool again. As in the beginning, he goes wherever he's inspired and whatever leads him. But as the fool, his staff rests on his shoulders now, carrying unseen his pack. The fool was like the pack. Whatever it was or could be was wrapped up and unknown. The hermit's staff leans out before him now, not behind, and it He carries the lantern, not the pack. The hermit is like the lantern, illuminated from within for all he could be. Out from hiding comes the fool into the sunlight as if being pulled up from some low dark point on the wheel. It is time for change. With his staff in hand, he heads back out into the world and expects nothing. But strangely, things seem to be happening to him by the hour as things go by. 
good things. Wandering by a water wheel, a woman offers him a drink in a golden chalice. She then urges him to keep the cup, just because she likes him. As he wanders by a windmill, he stops to watch a young man swinging a sword. When he expresses his admiration in the gentleman's weapon, the young man presses it into his hands, insisting that he take it. And finally that day, as he comes upon a rich merchant sitting on a wagon right over one of the wheels, the man hands him a bag of money. I love giving money away, he explains. And I decided just randomly that the tenth person who walked by me today would get this money. And you're the tenth. The fool could hardly believe it. He was so surprised. But is he? It is as if everything good that he had ever done for anyone in his life was being paid back to him threefold. All luck on this, his lucky day. The fool at this point is looking for a new path, a new aspiration, and a new inspiration for his life. Sitting at a crossroad of uncertainty, he notices a blind woman listening to two brothers argue over their inheritance. They've come to her for her judgment. One brother has the whole inheritance and the other has nothing. I ask that all of it be given to me, the poor brother demands, not only because I know better what to do with it, but because I will not waste it like he has. But the rich brother also protests. It is rightfully mine and that's all that should matter, not what I do with it. The woman listens to the two argue, then awards half to the rich brother and the other half to the poor brother. The fool thinks this is only fair, but neither brother is happy. The rich one hates losing half of its wealth, and the poor one feels that he had ought to have gotten it all. You were fair, he remarks to the woman after they left. Yes, I was, she answers plainly. With only half of the inheritance, the rich one will stop being so wasteful, and the poor one will have all he needs. Even though they cannot see it, this decision was good for both. The fool thinks of this. A new insight to his own life comes to mind. He realizes that he has spent most of his life achieving worldly possessions, ambitions, and physical goods, while leaving his spiritual self to starve primarily because he didn't want to make any sacrifices necessary to feed the spiritual self. Now he sees that it is necessary. The only path that he has not walked, he must walk and regain his balance. Thanking the woman, he heads out with new purpose now. It is time to balance his own inner scales. The day the fool becomes the hanged man. The fool settles beneath the tree, intent on just finding his spiritual self. We'll call it a state of meditation. There he stays for nine days without eating, barely moving. People pass him by, animals, clouds, and the wind, and the rain, the stars, the sun, the moon. On the ninth day, with no consciousness, not a conscious thought at all, he climbs up the branch and dangles himself upside down like a child, giving up for a moment all that he is, that he wants, that he knows, and that he even cares about. Coins fall out of his pockets, and he gazes down at them, 
seeing them not as money, but as little round bits of metal. Everything suddenly changes perspective. It is as if hanging between the mundane world and the spiritual world, able to see both. He is dazzled by this moment, dreamlike, and yet crystal clear. Connections he never understood are now made. Mysteries are even revealed. But timeless as he in this moment of clarity, he also realizes that it won't last. Very soon he must right himself, and when he does, things will be different. He will have to act on what he's learned now, and for now, whoever, he just hangs, weightless, as if underwater, observing, absorbing, and for the first time, truly seeing. Having left the tree where he hung, the fool moves carefully through a followed field. Head still clearing from all the visions, the air is cold and wintry, and the trees seem bare. Before him he sees the rising sun and a skeleton in black armor mounted on a white horse. He recognizes this as death. As it stops before him, he quickly and humbly asks, Have I died? He feels, in fact, rather empty and desolate. And the skeleton answers, Yes, fool, in a way, you've sacrificed your old world and your old self. Both are now gone and dead. The fool reflects on that. How sad. Death acknowledges this with a nod. But yes, he says, the only way to be reborn. The new sun is rising, can you see? And it is for you a great time of great, great transformation. As death rides away, the fool can feel the truth in those words. He too feels like the skeleton. All that has been stripped away. This he understands is how all great transformations start. By stripping things to the bone and building fresh upon the bare foundations. And for this, the fool feels a new beginning. Continuing on his spiritual path, the fool starts to wonder, how does he reconcile all these opposites that he's been facing? Material over spiritual, death over birth, and so on. It's at this point where he comes upon a winged figure standing with one foot in a brook and the other one on a rock. This radiant creature is pouring something from two flasks. As he draws closer, he sees one is fire and one is water. Are these two being blended together? He moves closer. Excuse me, he asked. How can you mix fire and water? The fool finally whispers. Never pausing, the angel answers, You must first have the right vessel full, and even the right proportions. The fool watches with wonder. How can this be done? Can this be done with all opposites? Any opposites, she replies, fire and water, man and woman, and so on. They all can be harmonized. It's only the lack of will and disbelief that it's all possible and unity that keeps these opposites opposites. And with that, the fool begins to understand that he is the one who's been keeping the universe at twain, holding life, death, material world, and spiritual world separate in him. The two could merge as the vessel and the angel uses to pour the elements, one to the other, 
All it takes, the fool realizes, is the right proportions and the right vessel. Part 2. The Fool Hits Puberty. God save us all. Let's do this. The fool comes to the foot of an enormous black mountain where he sees a half-goat, half-god. At his hoofs, naked people linked to the god's throne by chains, engaged in every indulgent imaginable. Sex, drugs, food, gold, drink. The closer the fool gets, the more he feels his own earthly desires rising in him. Lust, passion, obsession, greed. And he yells, I refuse to give in to you, he roars at the goat god, resisting all of, with all his might. The creature returns with a curious look. All I am doing is bringing out what you already have within you, the beast responds. Such feelings are nothing to fear, nothing to be ashamed of, and nothing to be avoided. The fool gestures angrily at the chained man and woman. You say that even though they all look completely enslaved. The goat god mimics the fool's gestures and says, Take another look, fool. The fool does so. He realizes that the chain collars around the women and the men are wide enough and wide open that they can easily just slip off their heads. They can be free if they wish to be, the goat god says. Though you are right, I am a god and of your strongest desires, but you see here only those who have allowed their desires to control them. At this, the goat god gestures upward towards the peak of the mountain. Do you see those who have not allowed their impulses and aspirations to take them up to the top of the mountain? They can keep you from following your passion to the highest heights. The fool realizes the truth in this, that he has been mistaken, that the goat got here. He understands now that it is not the creature of evil, but the great power and the lowest and the highest of both, both of the beast and God. Like all power, it can be frightening and dangerous, but it is also the key to freedom and transcendence, if understood and well used. As the fool leaves the throne of the goat god, he comes upon the tower. It's fantastic, it's magnificent, and it's even familiar. In fact, the fool himself helped build the tower back in the day when the most important thing to him was making his mark on the world, improving himself better than other men. Inside the tower at the top, arrogant men still live. Convinced of their rightness, seeing the tower again, the fool feels as if a lightning has just flashed across his mind. He thought that he had left that old self behind as he started the spiritual journey, but he realizes here that he hasn't. He's been seeing himself like the tower, like the man inside, as long as, as singular and superior, when in fact there's actually no such thing. So captured by the shock of this insight that he opens his mouth and releases a shout. To his astonishment and terror, this shout has taken form and the bolt actually of lightning slashes down from the heavens, striking the tower and sending all of its residents leaping into the waters below. 
At that moment, it is over. The tower is rubble. Only rocks remained. Stunned and shaken to the core, the fool experiences grief, profound fear, and even disbelief. But also a strange clarity of vision as the inner eye has finally truly opened. He tore down his resistance to change and sacrificed. He broke free from the fear. He dissolved his disbelief in opposites, and he shattered the chains of ambition and desire. But here and now, he was done with the hardest. He destroyed the lies he held about himself. With that, it was bare and absolute, the absolute truth. And on that, he knew it's time to rebuild his soul. On the bleak landscape where the tower stood, the fool sits, empty, despairing. He hoped to find himself on the spiritual journey, but now he feels lost. Sitting on the cold stones, he gazes up at the night sky, wondering what's left. And with that, he notices nearby a beautiful girl with two water urns. As he watches, she kneels by the pool of water, illuminated by the reflected of the starlight. She empties the urns, one into the pool and one onto the thirsty ground. What are you doing? He walks over and asks her. She looks up at him, her eyes twinkling with the stars. I'm refilling the pool so that those who are thirsty may drink. And I'm also watering the earth so that come spring, the seeds will grow. And she adds, come drink. The fool comes to kneel by her and drink the pool of water. The water tastes wonderful, like liquid starlight. I can see you're sad, the girl continues, and I know why. But you must remember that you have not lost all. Knowledge and possibilities and hope, you still have those, and like the stars, they can lead you to the future. Even as she says this, she begins to fade. Like dew, she's vanishing. All that remains is the gleam that was the center of her forehead. This rises up until it settles into the night sky as a shining star. Follow your star, the woman continues. Her voice seems to sing from that light. And just have hope. The fool takes a breath and rises. In the dark night, in the desolate land. But for the first time, he has a guiding light to show him the way. Distant as it feels, it heals his heart and restores his faith. And he understands that the star represents hope. Following the star, the moon travels through the night and the full moon arises, illuminating for him a watery path. And he begins to feel a little disoriented, as if he's walking in his sleep. He passes under the moon between two pillars, ancient and strange. Suddenly, he looks around, and he finds himself in a completely different land entirely. When he was in the presence of the high priestess, he saw hints of this dark land through her sheer, her veil, draped behind her throne. And later, when he hung up from the tree, he felt himself between the physical world and this one. As the fool continues to walk, his walking path turns into water, and he finds himself standing hip-deep in the powerful pool of the salty moonlight water. 
There by the shore is a small boat, and he notices it has no rudder and no oars. The fool realizes at this point that he has two choices. He can lose himself in this desolate, primal land of madness and illusion, stay howling with the wolves, or maybe even be hunted down, or he can get into that boat and trust himself to the river. The moon will be in control either way, but he realizes in the boat he can surrender to the powers of the unconscious and the natural world. This will at least take him somewhere. As the artist and the poets and the magician knows, inspiration, vision, genius, and moon magic are the rewards for such surrender. So the fool gets into the boat and shoves off. The waters lull him to sleep. He sees and feels the moonbeams on his face as it lights his path. There is the mistress of the dark land gazing down on him, and he notices to the side two beautiful, approving eyes. It's the high priestess. She's come to say hello again and goodbye. Fool wakes it down from his long, restless night to find that the wild river has ended. Quietly floating into a serene pool, there is a walled garden around this pond dominated by roses, lilies, splendid nodding flowers. Stepping ashore, he watches the sun rise overhead. Bright and golden, the day is clear. A child's laughter attracts his attention and he sees a little boy ride a small white pony into the garden. Come, says the little boy, leaping off his horse and running up to the fool. Come see. And the child proceeds to take the fool's hand and enthusiastically points out all manner of things. Look at the busy insects in the grass, the seeds in the petals of the sunflowers, the way the light sparkles on the pond. He asks questions of the fool, simple but profound ones, like, why is the sky blue? He sings songs with his new friend and even plays games. This truly is the experience. At one point, of joy. the fool stops, blinking up and looking at the sun so large and golden overhead. He finds himself smiling, wider and brighter than he ever has, and certainly in a long time. Since he started on his spiritual journey, he's been tested and tried, confused and scared, dismayed and amazed. But this is the first time he's been simply and purely happy. His mind feels illuminated, his soul light, as bright as the sunbeam. Like the great sun itself, this child, with his simple question, games, and songs, has helped the fool see the world and himself anew. To wonder at it and appreciate it. Who are you? The fool asked the child at last. The child smiles, <laughs> and this seems to shine and grow brighter and brighter until it turns into just pure sunlight. I'm you, the boy's voice says throughout the garden. A new you. And as if the words fill the fool with warmth and energy, he comes to realize that this garden, the sun above, and the child all exist within him. He has just met his new inner light. As the fool leaves the garden of the sun, he feels near the end of his journey. He's ready to take that final step, but something's keeping him from doing this. It's holding him back. 
so he gazes up, hoping to find guidance from the sun again. Instead, he sees above him a fairy angel, beautiful and yet at the same time terrible. You are right, the angel figure confirms. You have one last step to take in your journey, one final step to your completion. But you can't do that until you're ready to lay your past to rest. The fool hears this, and he's slightly perturbed. Lay it to rest, he asks. I thought I'd left it all behind. She says, there's no way to do that. So the angel observes. She says, each step you take, fool, wears down your shoe just a bit. And so it shapes the next step you take, and the next, and the next. Your past, you see, is always under your feet. You can't hide from it. You can't run from it, and you can't even rid yourself of it. But you can call it up, and you can come to terms with it. But here's the deeper question. Are you willing to do that now? So the angel hands the fool a small trumpet. And the fool's a little hesitant at first, but he knows this is his final decision. Either he go forward or stay where he is. So he grabs the trumpet and he blows, and the trumpet's songs echo across the sky. It vibrates, seeming to crack open the earth, and from under the fool's feet, memories arise, images of innocent youth, his challenges, his loves, his failures, his losses, his successes, his disillusionment, and even all his wisdom. For the first time, he does not try to leave them, ignore them, forget them, but he accepts them. They are, he sees, nothing to fear. They happened, and they're gone now. He alone carries them into the present. With that understanding, the memories vanish. Though they remain in his mind, they no longer have the power over him. He is now free free of them. He's reborn and holy and even present. Big finish, big finale. Enjoy. The fool turned to take its final step along his path, and he found himself right back where he started from, at the edge of the very same cliff he almost stepped over when he was too young to look where he was going. But now he sees the same position so differently. It's all about self, mind, and the body, past and future, the individual and the world, all in one, as above, so below, and all opposites are each other, including the fool and the mystic, who are both doorways to the secrets of the universe. With a knowing smile, the fool takes his final step right off the cliff, and instead of falling, he soars higher and higher until the whole of the world is his to see. And there he dances, surrounded by the stars and the one with the universe, ending in a sense where he began, beginning again at the end. The world turns, (laughs) and the fool's journey now is complete. But remember, it would be a fool to think it ends there, for the journey starts all over again but at a higher level of consciousness. Thank you so much for watching. See you next video.
This video is part of a four-part mini-series, so check out my cards where you will find the rest of this series. Bye now! Thank you so much for the gift of your time on the Intuitive Mindset Podcast with Jeannie Lynch. And if spirituality is your jam, please check out my YouTube. You can find the link in the show notes. 380 different videos all out there in HD color for you to see. Thanks again. Bye now.